0: the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for
1: the Steak for Breakfast podcast.
2: It's Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024, and this is the Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 320 and 321. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree, the Steak Show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social.
3: What's up, everybody, and welcome to the first of our two big Tuesday editions of the show today. I'm Ro. Noah's out of the office. We've got a lot of breaking news. Donald Trump had a huge weekend in New Hampshire, had a rally, and was surrounded by the America First delegation of the Avengers. We'll get into that. Sunday morning news circuit set the pace for the New Hampshire primaries. We'll take a look to the commentary that was coming out of some of our strongest warriors scotus makes a major ruling on the southwest border you're probably not going to like the way it shook out we'll analyze and donald trump makes his final pitch as it is election day and the first primary of the election season today in new hampshire will bring you all the latest we've got a great slate of guests coming in today we'll be sitting down with virginia congressman ben klein former chief of staff at capitol hill Jim Path will be joining us to provide some commentary as well. Wade Miller, Senior Fellow at the Center for Renewing America, will be making his Steak for Breakfast debut. And we'll bring you up to date on everything going on in the Granite State with New York Young Republican Club President Gavin Wax will be returning to the show. But before we get into any of our interviews, let's jump right into these headlines and change the way you consume your news.
4: Smokey, this is not Nam, This is bowling. There are rules.
3: Today, Junior!
0: America! Steak. breakfast! So
5: stand
3: by. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Rowan flying solo today. Noah's out of the office, but don't worry, he'll be back for our two Friday editions of the show this week. It was a big weekend for Donald Trump, and happy New Hampshire primary day. We've reached the second in the first five primary slash caucuses to get the election season started. And Donald Trump was up in New Hampshire. We're going to be checking in on his Concord rally that he had over the weekend. He was flanked by a lot of people who have come out of the woodwork, some, well, most, who have decided to call it a career in regards to their presidential aspirations, at least for this cycle. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, obviously Vivek Ramaswamy was there as well. We saw former gubernatorial candidate in New York and House Representative Lee Zeldin, and House Chairwoman Elise Stefanik as well. We're going to be hearing from some of them as well as from the 45th President. I want to remind everybody, we got an absolutely loaded show today. We're going to be sitting down with the Center for Renewing America's Wade Miller for the first time. Great policy and uh, legislation driven. Senior fellow over there at the center. It's going to be great sitting down with him. At the end of this segment, we're also going to have Jim Paffin, one of Capitol Hill's finest insiders, to round out this edition of the show. We'll have Representative Ben Klein joining us to kick off our second edition of Steak for Breakfast today. And we'll be catching up with Gavin Wax, the president of the New York Young Republican Club, who's on the ground in New Hampshire as it is Election Day in the Granite State. So let's get things started up there and check in on Tim Scott, who went out and and made the endorsement of Donald Trump this weekend, joined him on the campaign trail, and was getting things going in Concord. Let's check it out. We need a president who will close
0: our southern border today. We need Donald Trump. We need a president who will unite our country. We need Donald Trump. We need a president who will protect your social security and my mama's social security. We need Donald Trump. We need a president today who will stop the crime and recklessness in the streets. We need a president who will restore law and order. We need Donald Trump. Oh, we need a president who will lower our taxes and not raise our taxes. We need a president like Donald Trump. We need a president who understands the American people are sick and tired of being sick and tired. We need. We need a president our foreign adversaries are afraid of and our allies respect. We need. You see, we need a president who doesn't see black or white we see a, a president who sees Americans as one American family yes. we need go, go. And that's why I came to the very warm state of New Hampshire go, go,
6: go,
0: go. to endorse the next president of these United States
3: President Donald. I don't even know. That was South Carolina Senator Tim Scott embodying a Southern Baptist preacher. And he definitely had the Donald Trump -ah going and and getting the crowd fired up there. You know, Tim Scott did a good interview on Fox News Sunday where they asked him about how he felt potentially being the vice president in on this ticket with Donald Trump. And, And he said, you want to know what? In the conversations he's had so far with Donald Trump, it never really came up. He thinks he's in a good spot in the U.S. Senate. Obviously, Republicans are looking to flip the power there. I see us having as many as 53 seats in the next session of Congress, making it a lot easier than it is now to pass any kind of America First legislation. We would need 60, so only seven votes to whip. In addition to that, he said that he takes himself back to the first Trump in office where he had a great relationship and, and accessibility to Donald Trump in the Oval Office and, and he hoped and, and made it a point in speaking with Donald Trump that before he endorsed him then he would reassure him of some of those same things so I, I think that's a really big component there and and when you're looking at what some of these people may or may not be looking for politically I, I think the case is a lot different with somebody let's say like Doug Burgum we'll hear from him a little later in the show and you know, I, I think Doug Bergen would be a fantastic energy, commerce, or secretary of the interior in, in a future Trump administration. And, and you know, ha- having made most of his career up in North Dakota, you would assume that at some point you want to get out of there if, if you want to make a name for yourself in politics and, and probably take it up to Capitol Hill and, and to Washington, D.C. So, you know, that's kind of the tone that was being set as the rally got kicked off in Concord, New Hampshire. And, and it was, as you could tell, a pretty dialed in group. Um, Donald Trump did provide over the course of the weekend a little commentary on Tim Scott on, from the podium during the rallies and uh, didn't have anything to do with how their working relationship was in the past it didn't have anything to do with any kind of policies they worked on or, or how important Donald Trump was in regards to pushing legislation that supported the African American community during his first term it was little commentary on Tim Scott's social status. I don't know if you guys have heard, but over the weekend he made an announcement that he was now engaged to his recently revealed girlfriend who appeared with him on the campaign trail while he was running for the president of the United States. And uh, Donald Trump weighed in on that. Let's hear it. He's engaged
7: to be married. We never thought this was going to happen. What's going on?
3: (laughs) So, listen... We've called him Big Gay Tim Scott on the show for a long time, but apparently that's fake news, and and Donald Trump wanted to poke a little fun out of that. Former gubernatorial candidate in the state of New York and House Representative, former member of the Freedom Caucus as well, Lee Zeldin, was also with Donald Trump in New Hampshire this weekend. He was also trying to get this crowd fired up to hear from President Trump. Let's listen to the former congressman.
8: Is New Hampshire ready to put President Trump back in the White House? We have a country to save. And when we vote for President Trump, we are voting to secure our border. When we vote for President Trump, we are voting for an economy that would be stronger than ever. We are voting for a foreign policy that is more effective. We are voting for parental rights and a higher quality education inside of our schools. When we vote for President Trump, we are doing it for our veterans, our military, our law enforcement, our firefighters. We do it for our flag, our freedom, and our future. We are doing it. We are voting for President Trump to make America great again. Let's get it done on Tuesday. Let's get it done in November. God bless all of you, and thank you for supporting this great president.
3: Seems to be a pretty simple pitch there. I mean, when you look at how we've segued now to the general election with all but one, I don't even want to, I'm air quoting now, legitimate contender left in this race, and that's Nikki Birdbrain Nimbra. Nimrata Haley, borders, budget, and geopolitics, peace to strength are going to be the three big things I think that Donald Trump's really going to try and harness as you look at all of those components, both foreign and domestic here in the United States, kind of continue to spiral out of control under Joe Biden and his regime. Elise Stefanik, who... For all intents and purposes, we'll be making her first appearance on the Steak for Breakfast podcast relatively soon. We've been working those details out behind the scenes. The House chairwoman was also with President Trump up in New Hampshire, stumping for the 45th president and getting the crowd fired up. Let's hear her.
6: Let me tell you, every single day, President Trump is fighting against a corrupt and weaponized federal government. We need to save this country to save our Constitution. Just look at this schedule that President Trump, he's here today in New Hampshire, he just won a historic win in Iowa, and yet the Democrats and the radical district attorneys, radicals from the state of New York, are doing witch hunt after witch hunt. And we know why. It's because Joe Biden's polls are at the bottom of the barrel, and Democrats are fearful. They're trying to remove President Trump from the ballot illegally to suppress the will of the American people. It's Democrats who are attacking democracy. We are going to save our constitution and save this country. And that starts with making sure that President Trump wins in New Hampshire.
3: Yeah, I'll be honest with you. She's been an absolute warrior up on Capitol Hill today. I think she's actually had a stronger performance throughout the course of the 118th session, Uh, probably greater than Kevin McCarthy, the artist formerly known as Speaker of the House, and the current one, the rebranded Mike Johnson, who seems to be running into his struggles a little bit uh, in regards to the border and the budget, two things that have eluded the power of the purse to this point, and and someone who's kind of smashed through that narrative, providing both leadership and continuing to push legislation as she was one of the main components of HR2, the, the 2023 Border Security Act, uh, that, and that's Chairwoman Elise Stefanik from New York. So good to see her out there with the president. I know there's some murmurings as well that she's moved into contention as, as far as considerations go for vice president of the United States. That's yet to be determined. Uh, Donald Trump provided some commentary on that throughout the course of the weekend, saying, like, he felt like he knew who it was. It would be a great selection that the American people would like. But also wanted to remind everybody, for as much as we want, like, an all-powerful American first warrior to join Donald Trump on the ticket, we are looking for someone to compliment uh, what Donald Trump has already accomplished throughout his first term in office, someone who would show unwavering loyalty and support to the president in his second endeavor up on Capitol Hill. And, and at the end of the day, he reminded everybody that whoever is the vice president of the United States really isn't that important. So where we have a lot of these potential all-stars, people always like to bring up people like Byron Donalds, more recently Vivek Ramaswamy. We, we might not want to extinguish a little bit of the star power that these people bring by having them as the vice president of the United States. They might be utilized in other spaces like, you know, in Byron Donald's case, maybe moving up to the governor of Florida or even a state Senator there. And for Vake Ramaswamy, he might even be a Senator or governor at some point, but maybe even a cabinet level position in in the Trump administration next year. So we'll have to kind of check it out and, and, you know, continue to listen to the words between the words that Donald Trump It seems like every single reporter that corners him right now always asks him about the the potential VP pick, and and Donald Trump has laid out a pretty good idea of of how he's laying out that expectation. And I want to remind everybody, we're in January. Today is the New Hampshire primary. That's the, the second of the first five before Super Tuesday in early March, and Donald Trump said he will be making that decision and announcement over the course of the next few months. So let's just say Donald Trump has a resounding victory today in New Hampshire, and Nikki Haley drops out. He goes over to Nevada and South Carolina and Michigan, heads into Super Tuesday 5-0. It might be on the back end of that. I don't think we'll see anything regarding anything else as far as the vice presidential pick goes before then. But I could be wrong as we're only trying to provide you with some commentary on it today. Speaking of which, guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, albeit on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you're following the show, that you subscribe to us for free, and that it's downloading to your electronic device. Most importantly, and even if you have some of those podcasting apps, make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts. It's very important. Here's what it does. It massages the algorithms and makes us more present in the political podcast suggestions. So that would mean less Dave Rubin and little Ben Shapiro and people of that nature and more steak for breakfast which is the goal here. Also helps us out in the Apple Top 100, which is kind of the make or break for podcasts. Nothing gets those guys coping and seething more when our completely free, self-funded, grassroots America First podcast continues to climb up the charts as high as 35 in the country last week for news and commentary. And that's because of your continued support. So, and remember to share the show as well. You see the posts on social media. We're doing a great job of getting those shared out. But in addition to people who like politics are America First. Might be great Trump supporters, and don't listen to Steak for Breakfast. Let him know about us, and and tell him to follow us on one of the major platforms as well. And then, of course, we're on social media. Twitter Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram. Find our accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. All right, we're going to get to the steak and potatoes. Now, with Donald Trump. And uh, one of the best parts, I thought, and one of the biggest points he made on the campaign trail, he's been making it a little more frequently lately, is that, He could have been done with all of this, politics-wise. He could have been helping the America First movement anoint, turn over the keys, and support the incoming future president of the United States. And he could have been focused on golfing and getting his presidential library dealings in order and all that other stuff. But no, they had to rig and steal the 2020 presidential election and force him back into the arena to make sure that his legacy of wanting to save this country and make it a better place is still on the docket in 2024. I think it's a great point that the president's been hitting on the campaign trail. Check it out.
7: If, if they would have played straight, just think about this, because I've never said this before. I was just thinking as I'm standing up here, because unlike this other guy, I can think from the stage. He can't. But if they would have... He can't. He can't find his way off the stage. But if they would have played straight, just think of it. I'd now be getting ready to leave government. And now they've got me for four more years.
3: Look what what they've done to them. I just thought of that. You can't beat some of the off-prompter, impromptu commentary that Donald Trump always provides as part of his campaign speeches. And I think one of the biggest things that we really enjoy when we listen to President Trump is is the comedic aspect. He adds to whatever his prepared speech wants to lay out for the American public. He hit on a couple of his all-time favorites. One a little bit newer, but one of the all-time greats. Pencil neck, watermelon head, Mr. Orange on a toothpick himself. Adam Schiff. Donald Trump absolutely destroyed him during the speaking event in Concord. Let's hear it.
7: ...like Adam Schiff and, you know, Schiff, Pencil Neck. Pencil Neck! He's a marvel. No, he's a structural marvel. He has a neck, and his head is like a watermelon, and his (laughs) neck... And how that neck can hold up that big, oversized, ugly head is hard to believe. (laughs) No, it's true. It's true. Big head like your finger on a basketball. Some of these guys—they spin it. No, no, he's a terrible guy. Think of it. Think.
3: And he's a horrible human being as well. You know, Adam Schiff got lit up pretty bad last night during the senatorial debate out in California, where the Republican challenger pointed out that you know he lied on numerous occasions to the American people, and that he'll never be able to live that down. And when Adam Schiff. And it's pushed back on that and said, oh, no, I didn't do that. I did that to save democracy. He's like, yeah, well, you were also censured in the House, which means that they found you guilty of said lying, And to which point, you know, he does his whole eyes bugging out of his head and looking all red in the face like when, what is it, Total Recall, when they get pushed out onto the Mars surface and they their, <laughs> their eyes start bugging out of their head and stuff. That's what Adam Schiff looks like when he gets pissed off. He also wanted to do uh, Nikki Haley no favors and, and kind of landed a couple body blows to her. Do you want to play that clip for you guys? Let's hear it.
7: Presidential timber. Now, when I say that, that probably means that she's not going to be chosen as the vice president. You, you know, you can go. No, you can go. You can go and you can say certain things, you know, I don't like them and and this... But when you say certain things, it sort of takes them out of play, right? I can't say she's not of the timber to be, and then say, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to announce that I've picked. Do you understand? But that's the way it is, okay. Tell it like it is. Tell it like it is.
3: And and that's usually the way Donald Trump does it. I I think, listen, the Nikki Haley for VP rumors started in a back room of Fox News was fanned by staffers from both the DeSantis campaign to make Donald Trump look weaker like he was going to take the establishment neocon pick for his VP and then when it kind of got steam I think Nikki Haley's internal team ran with it as well her not publicly obviously but but them fueling rumors online through stan accounts and sock puppet accounts in addition to you know people in the major news organizations getting these talking points it seems like a lot of people don't like when Nikki Haley is uh, teased as a possible VP pick for Donald Trump Let's run with that narrative at the top of every single show. And every time we bring it up to either uh, a commentator guest or someone that's, you know, closely affiliated or maybe even working on the Trump campaign, let's just throw it in their face and see how they deflect from it. Donald Trump did a good job of kind of shutting that down. And and listen, I could tell you from just some of the messages and stuff I've received, like... A fuck no with like 17 U's and 53 O's when I've asked certain people very closely associated to the president on what they thought about her as a potential VP pick. Here on the show, we're still sticking with Ben Carson, Christy Noem, Elise Stefanik, Tulsi Gabbard, maybe Tucker Carlson. And you've got those three top contenders that I mentioned first, and then Tulsi and Tucker are kind of like in the gray area, best of the rest. And and I think all of those candidates will add to the ticket, widen the tent, bring in potential voters that might be on the fence right now. Who knows the numbers after New Hampshire, or at least through the first five primaries and definitely after super Tuesday might be so great that Donald Trump might not need to bring in like a celebrity level pick as his VP, as I already mentioned. And, And you know, when you look at how some of those other people I mentioned could be used, and I think Tucker Carlson, a lot of people love him. I love him. I think he'd be a fantastic vice president pick. Doesn't sound like he wants it, and he just started his own news outlet. So, But, I mean, when you look about the other people being potentially used in, in, in a future Trump administration, Ben Carson, Christy Nome, Elise Stefanik, and uh, Tulsi Gabbard, even though I can't stand her prior voting record, it's it seems like that she's made it a thing to announce that she was wrong in the past and has officially walked away from the Democrat Party. So we'll have to see how all those people are utilized as, as, you know, time moves forward. Donald Trump had one of his, obviously, standard closeouts to end the Concord-New Hampshire rally on Saturday night. And we're going to play a little portion of that now before we get ready to jump in with Wade Miller of the Center for Renewing America. Let's check it out.
7: We will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again we will make America strong again we will make America proud again we will make America safe again and we will make America great again thank you very much New Hampshire thank you go out and vote God bless you thank you thank
3: you and that's how He's closed out all of his rallies. It's how he closed out the one he had last night at the, the Margate resort in Laconia, New Hampshire. We'll get to that on the back end of our second edition of the show today. Right now we're getting ready to jump in with Wade Miller from the center for renewing America. But before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing My Pillow and now have the My version 2.0. You enter promo code stake at checkout, you're going to get buy 1 get 1 free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like My Pillow dog beds, the Aerolindel version 1 and 2, My slippers and Giza dream everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag and the pod. When you enter promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us first on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's the Executive Director of Citizens for Renewing America. Happy to be sitting down with Mr. Wade Miller for the first time. Wade, welcome to the show.
9: Thanks for having me on, I appreciate it.
3: Well, we've been trying to get you for quite a while, and we're glad to finally have you. We've got a bunch of stuff to talk about. We're going to have Congressman Ben Klein, who sits on a lot of the concerning committees, Judiciary, Appropriations, and Budgetary, uh, to kick off our interviews in our second edition of the show today. And we're also going to be talking about some of the struggles that we're having up in the Republican House on Capitol Hill. It seems like for all the praises that the congressmen and women who come on our show, and I'd say it's about 40 or so a month now, have to say about Mike Johnson. He's a great guy, constitutional scholar, extremely godly man. You're not going to find any social problems wrong with him when it comes to taking on the long-established leadership on the other side of the aisle and without any help from Mitch McConnell. He's ran into some of the normal speaker issues that a Republican House usually faces when they don't have control of the Senate or a president in the White House, and that has to do with the budget and the border. So as we see this shaking down, we'd love for you to provide some commentary on it.
9: Sure. So I think that the problem that People are having with Speaker Johnson at this point is at every single point that he's had a, a decision to make, he's made the decision that is the easiest for the uniparty. And he's basically been going along with the, the uh, easiest ground for Democrats to get what they want with the least amount of controversy. The problem with that is that none of the solutions that we're seeking will be uh, uh, achieved if you don't use some sort of leverage point to force Democrats to the table to negotiate. Uh, and uh, or put them on kind of their back hills and kind of force them to accept something in exchange for government funding or, or, you know, any other must pass piece of legislation. So like a great example of this is, you know, uh, the the debt limit deal over the summer was not a great deal at the time because of some budget gimmickry. And the way CBO scored it, it turned out to actually, in hindsight, be a great deal, because if you do a year long CR uh, continuing resolution, it would automatically cut like $73 billion from all of the non-defense discretionary uh, parts of government, which is all of the woke and weaponized uh, uh, federal agencies that are targeting American citizens. And then you could use that as you could say, look, Democrats, we're going to put the spending bill forward. And part of that is we're going to use this as leverage to get some other things that we want. If you don't want $73 billion in cuts to your woke and weaponized agencies, or at least not all of it, we need border security. And so there's strategies like that that we've been trying to help Congress and guide Congress towards. And we've been communicating these things to Speaker uh, Johnson and he's just not done it. In fact, we you know, how often is it that you can be a conservative in Washington, D.C. and say the sentence, if we just do a year long CR and that's all we do, we're going to rack up big wins. That never happens. But we finally have that opportunity for that circumstance to exist. And Speaker Johnson makes a big deal with uh, Chuck Schumer, which gives away all of our leverage. It, ex- it spends $100 billion more than a simple year-long CR would have uh, uh, given the American people. And we sacrifice all of our leverage to use that spending as, uh, as an opportunity to force border security into the conversation. So H.R. 2 is just sitting there. We need it to pass, to, you know, to, to really put uh, Joe Biden on his heels and make it really a lot more difficult for him to not secure the border. But if you don't have a, uh, a, a legislative package that is like a, a leverage point, uh, a must pass bill, those things never happen in Washington, D.C. And so, so far, Speaker Johnson has done everything possible to remove conservative leverage points and to give Democrats what they want to get through this election cycle. And that, that's been super disappointing. Mike Johnson could be a transformational speaker. He could be a great speaker. But so far, we're not seeing any of that transpire or, or come to fruition. He's basically turned into, so far, uh, John Boehner 4.0. Uh, you know, he, he's he's doing the same things that we would have expected to see Speaker Ryan do. He's doing the same things that we would have expected uh, Speaker McCarthy to do. And if we want to save this country, we're going to have to, uh, you know, step off that path. We're going to have to actually make some hard decisions. and we're, And more importantly, we're going to have to make decisions that involve inherently some risk. You can't win this country back without some risk. And being risk averse, as Speaker Johnson has been so far, is going to only ensure the status quo, which is failing America.
3: No, those are some excellent points you make. And I, and I wanna know if you, you might have some insight or even uh, be able to hypothesize on with us. Where Where is the disconnect then? Because, you know, ideologically, our program lines up with the America First agenda. A lot of the things that you guys are doing over there at the center other policy institute to promote the same kind of potential legislation and policy for, you know, Donald Trump's second term in office potentially next year. But, you know, just for a Republican led House, Senate and, and, and White House in general, it's getting this country fiscally back on the right track, securing our borders, reducing crime and geopolitically showing peace through strength, things that have proven to work over the course throughout history and not just in the first presidency and term of Donald Trump. But, you know, we bring on so many different diverse members of Congress, ones that don't necessarily ideologically at this point necessarily line up with Donald Trump. Let's just say Bob Good, who was a supporter of Ron DeSantis, uh, Ralph Norman, who's continuing to back Nikki Haley until she decides to bow out of the race. But then, you know, one's inside the Freedom Caucus, like Eli Crane, one's outside of the Freedom Caucus, like Mike Collins or even Matt Gates, And it seems like they're all saying the same exact things that you are. And if you're having what seems to be a unified Republican messages throughout the caucus why is this not getting you know any traction when it comes to what mike johnson needs to do if it seems like that people that usually don't agree on anything are actually agreeing with this is the way to move forward
9: well yeah i mean and some of our best members of congress have had different viewpoints if you're talking about eli crane uh uh gosar biggs roy good norman these are the guys who actually get the argument putting aside presidential politics putting aside that you know we have a a clear preference for the america first agenda my boss was the OMB director for President Trump and, and is a big supporter. I think one of the first cabinet officials to endorse Trump when he announced that he was running. Correct. But our army is on the, in the right place on policy. They may have some different opinions on presidential candidates, although that field is now narrowing very quickly in a good way. Um, uh, but I think that what happens is in D.C. you have kind of the, the military neocon war hawk guys who just want military spending and they don't care about anything else and they'll vote basically for anything that Democrats agree to if they get their defense spending contracts and everything that they want for the defense industry. And then you have another faction within the GOP that just doesn't really disagree with Democrats a whole lot behind the scenes. Uh, They may disagree slightly on like the tax rates or regulatory positions. But other than that, they actually are quite liberal Republicans. And so, you know, Uh, they kind of hide it and and run a campaign as conservatives. But behind the scenes in D.C., it's well known that they're fairly liberal. Uh, And then you have a conservative coalition that is ideologically on board with us, but they don't like to take chances. They don't like any, uh, you know, if we're talking about potentially pushing this into a government shutdown so that you use that leverage point to force Democrats to the table, like you're never going to get anything done transformationally uh, it, it, unless you have total control of government. And by the way, Republicans have had that and still didn't get anything done, too. Uh, and they, that was a big reason why Trump didn't get a lot more things done than, than he would have liked to, because Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell didn't help him get a lot of these things done. Yep. Uh, uh, but they don't like the risk. They don't like the political risk and optics, and they're worried about ruining their re-election. And I think at the end of the day, we need more members who care less about their own re-election prospects and have more of like a founding concept, which is we are going to take an enormous amount of risk. It may cost us. It may cost us our seats. It may cost us our livelihoods. But it's the right thing to do to save America. And you see a lot of those members in the Freedom Caucus, but you don't see a lot of that outside of the Freedom Caucus. Until more members come to D.C. with the mindset of we need to save this country and we're going to do everything it takes, you're going to get a lot of the uniparty status quo, which is, Mike Johnson and most of the Republican conference doing everything they can to just basically uphold the status quo, where nothing changes except for the status quo is a slow march to national failure.
3: No, oh, it's the truth, and and you know when you when you look at some of the. Uh opportunities they've had to really transform things up there. I mean, we know this is a process and and through the process there's growing pains and it's not necessarily something you could change with, let's just say the flick of the light switch. I think we have missed out on a lot of opportunities and, you know, we've moved the potentiality for a government shutdown into kind of dangerous waters. The way we're looking at it, Wade, you might think it's different, but after you get that latest CR vote where you had over a hundred Republicans side with the Democrats. And for a lot of the reasons that you just outlined I think the Democrats now have a bargaining chip if Republicans want to continue to threaten government shutdown because now we're in the midst of a presidential primary season. The Democrats have been able to identify a lot of the congressmen and women, both in the House and Senate, who are out stumping for President Trump, who are promoting the America First agenda, and and, and the likelihood that he's going to be able to win back the White House next year. So let's just say and I'm air quoting now, MAGA Mike decides to shut down the government, you give Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Hakeem Jeffries, and everybody around Joe Biden to go out and say, hey, look, this is the guy that Trump wanted as the speaker, and it didn't look like he was going to do it at first, but now with the direction of Donald Trump, he shut down the government, so we can't work on border security. This is why Republicans are holding everything up. A government shutdown, I thought, would have been something great, maybe even around or before the time Speaker McCarthy is gone, but now that we're in an election season, the Democrats could use it against us.
9: And that's certainly the, the argument that the establishment wanted to get to. So the reason they didn't want to do it last fall is if they can delay 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 then this argument does become, you know, in play. Like there, there are more risks to do it now than there were. There were essentially no risks last fall. No one goes into an election booth and makes a decision because it's something that Congress did an entire year ago. Most of what Congress will be uh, or what, most of what voters will care about when they go into a voting booth is what has happened in the last several months. Uh, last few months, this month, last month, and how do I view the outlook of this country right now? Uh, And so there was no risk last year. There's increasing risk the longer you wait. But even then, like there's ways you could do this. Like the House could pass a year-long CR right now, and then you're forcing Democrats to vote against it and shut down the government. Now, you and I both know that the media will still say that Republicans are shutting down the government. Correct. but, But there are things that Republicans can do to put the optics of it to make it really difficult for the media to spin this in favor of Democrats, like Republicans can hold a CR vote, a year long CR vote every day for a month, every day of a shutdown. They could put uh, put forward individual appropriations bills. They could say, OK, you don't want to vote for a year long CR to fund all of government. Here's an appropriations bill to, to fund the VA and to, and to help our veterans. Force them to vote against that. And you just start piecemealing government funding together we know how to do this. The strategy exists, how to do this and win. The problem is, is that Republican leadership in the Uniparty don't actually want to do any of this and they don't want to take any risk at all. And so they don't want to even consider like the best way to to approach it and and how to win it if we did do do it. So they don't listen to any of this. And that's that's a big problem. One of the solutions I think is increasingly is going to have to be states uh, taking it upon themselves to just kind of thumb their nose at the federal government and start doing like Like we're seeing in Texas, like Texas needs to just tell the feds to pound sand. This is Texas. Article one, section 10, clause three. We have a constitutional authority to do what we're doing. You and and Republicans and Democrats in Congress can Twitter your thumbs all you want. You're not going to solve anything. We're going to do it ourselves. And you don't have a constitutional power to stop us and just do what they're going to do. Uh, and that's the type of thing we need to start seeing from states to compel action by by Congress to actually come in and 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 be the answer to these problems. So, what does it say for
3: border security in this session of Congress? I I know that from some of the congressmen and women that we've had on recently. Again, we're going to be sitting down with Representative Klein from the Freedom Caucus in our next edition of the show today, and, and we're going to talk about that date that they've set to possibly bring articles of impeachment against Alejandro Mayorkas. But From the posturing and the narrative of the Biden administration all the way back to a couple weeks ago when they had him do the Sunday morning news circuit, go down to the border and kind of essentially dare Republicans to do something about it, all the way up today to where John Kirby and Karine Jean-Pierre are leaning on that Supreme Court ruling from yesterday, which we're also going to touch on in our second edition of the show today basically to, to say in defense that what Republicans are trying to do in regards to the southern border is not working. And, and if they can't come up with a compromised uh, or plausible solution to border security, which the Biden administration is saying that they have, it, it's not. We all know it's just more money to process people faster, make it look neat and cleaner, and get them into the United States as, as quickly as possible. Then, then now that now they have another component to lean on with that Supreme Court ruling yesterday, as you saw that kind of break in real time, what were your feelings when you, when you saw that break across the newswire?
9: Well, the decision was wrong. I think that the uh, uh, you know the states have a clear constitutional authority to do what they need to do. I think one of the problems is that Abbott has not been clear in what authority he's relying on. Is he relying on SB four, a state law, on tr- criminal trespass? Is he trying to uh, make a legal argument about peeling back Arizona v. U.S. and setting up that legal fight, or is he invoking a constitutional authority? So I think it was he made it a little bit easier for the uh, for the Supreme Court to you know issue a stay. And allow the uh, Border Patrol to move forward. I think that he needs to be very clear that it's a constitutional authority, and take additional actions and force new court uh, act- lawsuits and, and and predicated on that fight. Uh, but you know, even here, like Speaker Johnson could uh, put forward a funding bill for all of government except for DHS, and then to have a government shutdown fight on just DHS. And use that as leverage to get HR2 across the line. There's, there's a million ways you could skin this cat. There's ways to pick the fight that minimize the pain uh, that otherwise might come out of a you know so-called government shutdown fight. Uh, fund all of the de- defense, fund, you know, all of the other impor- edu- Department of Education, fund all of the, you know, VA, all of these politically sensitive issues. And then, you know, don't fund DHS and pick a fight on just this. There's ways that you could ladder the spending authorities to create opportunities here. And then at the same time, uh, you know, states can start picking their Article I uh, constitutional uh, powers. And of course, we're filing an amicus brief later today in support of Texas's constitutional authority to repel an invasion or, uh, you know, imminent danger that's uh, uh, befalling their state. So there's a lot of different options here. The problem is, is that so far, the people with the ability to pick these fights and to force a national discussion on them have been giving Democrats a pass by taking the uh, the easiest route out of these these fights, and you know trying to basically kick all of these conversations into January of twenty twenty five. You know Texas doesn't have that kind of time. Every no. day, bad things are happening there. They need relief right now, and there's some members that are willing to fight on this. Uh, uh, but we need more to pick a fight in that at the state level and the federal level. No, it's the truth, and and you know
3: Republicans are going to have quite a job of retaining power in the House. But when you look at some of the you know, people who are running in these elections to get up on Capitol Hill next year and what members of the Freedom Caucus or the America First Vote delegation are, are starting to endorse them. We're, we're identifying those candidates and making sure they're constantly coming through the show so the American people can hear them, support them, and hopefully get them over the finish line in November. Wade, last thing I want to touch with you on. You know, It's election day in New Hampshire. We have pretty high expectations for Donald Trump to have a successful victory there. I think it kind of sets the path for him to go undefeated in the first five primary states following this and heading into Super Tuesday, where he should all but wrap up the nomination. It says a lot for how the weaponization of the justice system and federal law enforcement, in addition to the policies of the Biden administration, have contributed to the you know, way Donald Trump's been able to successfully navigate his campaign up to this point. It, it almost seems... It seemed unlikely last year that he'd be able to make it to this point, the second primary, well, first primary of the season, but second race and only have one, and I'm air quoting again, legitimate contender, Nikki Haley left. When you see the way that this has played out and and how much success that Donald Trump's had up to this point, looking like that he's going to be still gaining steam after New Hampshire and and heading up into Super Tuesday, what can you say for the president's race so far? And and what does it say for how the American people are are waking up to what the politics of the other side of the aisle look like and and how bad and how fast it's kind of set this country on a path that we didn't think we'd get on in, in this amount of time?
9: I think it shows you that there has been a fundamental shift in the Republican Party electorate. They're tired of the old corporatist Republican guard that didn't really care about, you know, they were more interested in, 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 in tax breaks for the rich. And look, I, I am for low taxes. But the Republican Party overly focused on gigantic corporations and the uber wealthy. And they didn't spend enough time thinking about what's good for uh, middle income families, lower income families, uh, pro family policies. And Donald Trump represents kind of a blue collar American. And people fundamentally believe that he is there because he cares about the welfare of their family and how they're going to put food on the table. And they're they and it's showing in, in the electorate. It's not a sentiment that's gone away. He's as strong as ever. I mean, if you think back to Iowa or uh, yeah, Iowa in twenty sixteen, he got twenty four percent. Yep. He now got over half with a similarly competitive and, and and like good field. These are not like nobodies. It's Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. They're accomplished politicians, and he still dominated the field. I think that you know today is probably going to be the high water mark for Nikki. I don't think it gets any better for her. And I still don't. I still think that Donald Trump's going to dominate today, and from here on out, we're getting into Trump, like heavy Trump country. So uh, I think that after today, the writing should be on the wall that this is. Uh, even though we all kind of realize that this is now a one-person race, and Donald Trump's the guy, and we need to get behind him and and fight the Biden agenda. And start working to, you know, make America great again, to not be too cliche. No,
3: you have to be. And and I'll even do you one better. It's now more than ever that we have to get somebody in there who's not only done the job that you could say uh, both our geopolitical foes and allies respect. and, And at the end of the day, whether you like the way the man talks or sometimes presents himself, the world was a much better and safer and more prosperous place. Everything from peace deals to border security, the economy, and everything in between. So... You know Where there might be strong competition in presidential elections down the road, I think this one, it's clearly been defined that it's going to be Donald Trump again. We've only had one race like this one other time in the history of our republic, and that was obviously Grover Cleveland as the non-incumbent incumbent who was able to retake the White House back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And, and we're, the way it's shaping up right now, Donald Trump has a very strong chance to do so the same. Wade, this has been awesome sitting down with you for the first time today. We can only hope that you'd come back and join us. The commentary was awesome. We're going to be live linking the Center for Renewing America in our show description today. But for anyone that wants to follow you on social media, pretty apparent that they need to. Where can they check you out?
9: Yeah, uh, AM Renew Citizen. Uh, we're on all the Twitter uh, accounts and and uh, social media accounts. Uh, Russ Vogt is our president, of course. And he's kind of been my mentor for a, a number of years now. And he's a good guy to follow if you want to. Kind of tap into the mind of what america first agenda policy agenda looks like in the the next trump administration uh you know he worked very closely with donald trump uh through omb last time and he's got a lot of good ideas that uh, i think most americans haven't heard yet and I think that uh, people should be excited uh, about the policy implications of the next Trump administration because it's going to be great for America. And it's, it's really going to put us back on uh, the track of, of fixing the problems we've been facing.
3: No, it certainly is. We love when Russ comes on the show as well. And we'll be looking to have you guys both back at some point in the very near future. This is the executive director at Citizens for Renewing America, Mr. Wade Miller. Thanks for joining us on the show. Have a great rest of the week.
9: Thanks for having me on.
1: I think this election right now is very simple. It's a very clear contrast. You have two individuals who have a four-year record to run on. One has a record of success coming from a posture and a position of strength in Donald Trump, and one who comes from a position of weakness. Every single thing that voters actually care about, every single thing that drive voters to show up and cast their ballot, Donald Trump is winning on, whether it's the economy, whether it's securing the border, whether it's national security, whether it's taking a hard line against China. Every single one of those major issues that really drive voters, Donald Trump is dominating Joe Biden on. And they both have clear records in which to run from. And I have no doubt that the matchup yeah. in November will declare Donald Trump a clear victor because of that, that contrast.
3: And that was Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Listen, for the first time in a very long time, the Trump campaign was able to send a lot of their surrogates and political figures who are supporting now openly have endorsed Donald Trump out into the Sunday morning news circuit as we're painting a picture for you here on the show. We covered the last rally Saturday night. We're going to touch in on the narrative that was being promoted on the Sunday morning news circuit in addition to some other breaking news we saw develop on Sunday Take it into our next show where we're going to touch on the U.S. Southern border situation, the Supreme Court ruling from yesterday, and round things out in our second edition of the podcast today with Donald Trump's final pitch to the people of New Hampshire last night in Laconia. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders just kind of laid out some of the itemized agenda items there, which the American people, I think, are really starting to understand that Donald Trump gave them a lot better opportunity to financially survive, literally survive, and prosper during his first term in office. It was a narrative that was pitched everywhere from CBS to MSNBC, Meet the Fake Press, and this week in Fake News and beyond. Next, we're going to be listening to Ohio Senator J.D. Vance, who jumped on Fox News Sunday and
2: was talking with Martha McGowan. Let's hear him. Well, Shane, I think Trump is way out ahead in New Hampshire, but also nationally. That's very important to remember. But I guess my response to that voter would be uh, Nikki does have baggage. She just hasn't faced the onslaught of years of media attacks of super PAC attacks that Donald Trump has faced. And frankly, the fact that Trump is still standing and still leading in the polls against Joe Biden suggests he has real political resilience. I know a lot of people who are choosing Nikki Haley think she's the low baggage candidate. In reality, she's the candidate the Democrats haven't teed off on, but they will tee off on her if she's the nominee. She won't be. But if she is, she will face exactly what Donald Trump has faced for the past six years. And I don't think she'll survive it. I certainly don't think she'll win the presidency through it. That's why we need to elect a guy who's shown some resilience. That's why we need to nominate Donald Trump. And again, you're going to hear a lot of the similar
3: rhetoric from all members supporting Donald Trump right now as we kind of lay it out for you here. But here's the thing. One of the, I think, most important points that Senator Vance made there was that, you know, it's not just establishment and the neocon wing of the Republican Party who have gotten behind Nikki Haley. It's the billionaire donor class, which in a lot of cases has ties, deep-seated ties to the Democrat Party, in addition to a lot of... I guess, squish independents who typically vote Democrat in these elections. You're seeing it with the way people are going to come out in New Hampshire and vote for Nikki Haley. Uh, There's been so many receipts from some of the mainstream media, cable news outlets that have gone around to speaking events and said, well, I'm voting for Nikki Haley in the primary, but I'm voting for Joe Biden in the election. That's just some of the stuff we're up against here. But also remember the big component of Joe Biden on the other side of the ticket, not being able to campaign. I mean, when he's set up for a speaking event, there's a lid pretty much put on the White House by 9 a.m. or at least at the very latest noon every other day of the week because of what the travel and just the very brief speaking events he gives in public does to him physically and how mentally he has a tough time dealing with a lot of this stuff as, you know, attributes to his cognitive decline that we've pointed out for years now on the show. It's not the same person that they wheeled out in 2019, even though, he was kind of shaky then. Now it's just sad to watch. But the fact of the matter is, where you're seeing very few people on the Democrat side of the ticket, I think Gavin Newsom went around ahead of the New Hampshire primary trying to steal some headlines and, and kind of promote the Biden agenda. You're not seeing any of the all-stars out there where I feel like once Donald Trump has trimmed this field to where it looks like he's going to secure the nomination that's when you're going to see Barack and Michelle Obama, Elizabeth Warren and all the Chuck Schumer and everybody else, the Hillary Clinton, you know, these people, Eric Holder, Susan Rice, these people who have been formerly with Joe Biden as part of Barack Obama's administration now out there stumping for him. They're going to replace Joe Biden on the campaign trail as he continues to be the nominee on the ticket. And again, I only feel like Joe Biden is going to be able to survive outside of house investigations uh, and will be the Democrat nominee. I don't think they're looking for a super delegate flip takeover at the DNC convention right now. And this is why Donald Trump is looking so strong and it looks like history is very likely to repeat itself much like it did with Grover Cleveland. Why would you want to burn one of these candidates to have on their resume politically, they lost to Donald Trump, someone who, All the Democrats like to tout Donald Trump air quoting now lost to Joe Biden in 2020. Why would you want the reverse for Michelle Obama, for a Gavin Newsom, even a Hillary Clinton again, two time defending loser of Donald Trump. You're finished. So that's kind of the way we're looking at it. and, And that's kind of the way we're delivering our news narrative to you. If you, if you feel otherwise, be sure to reach out to the show. Believe me, a lot of people do, whether in the DMS or, or in our show posts, but, uh, I think up to this point, if you see the way it's kind of playing out, we've been the fairest and most accurate reporting-wise out at, of at just about anybody. We don't make it very emotional, and we try to bring on the people who are going to provide you with the physical receipts who are on the ground, whether it be policy-wise, campaign-wise, etc. So want to remind everybody we're going to get another inside look at what's going on up on Capitol Hill and talk about the New Hampshire primary, the Trump-Haley matchup, or lack thereof, from former Capitol Hill Chief of Staff Jim Paff in just a bit. Before we do that, we're going to listen to South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, who jumped on with Dana Bash on CNN's Fake News Sunday morning. Let's check it out
0: does america need for the next president it would be four more years of donald trump and why do i say that i say that because i worked with president trump on really important issues impacting american voters and american families we worked together i helped write the tax cuts and jobs act in 2017 the largest tax decrease in american history think about uniting this country He gave the highest level of funding for historically black colleges and universities in the history of the country. We have the most inclusive economy, 7 million new jobs, the lowest unemployment rates for African-Americans, Hispanics, Asians, a 70-year low for women, and a 50-year low for the majority population. That. During the Trump years, we also didn't have an invasion of Ukraine. Hamas was not burning, decapitating, killing kids and raping Dana-Bash's women in sea Israel. Thing. We had a stronger economy, a healthy military, and a safer world. When I compare and contrast, the only, the only conclusion is Donald Trump.
3: And that's the point that we're kind of laying out there for you guys. And it's great to see that a lot of these people had the opportunity to go on MSNBC, CBS, CNN, etc. Even Fox News, where a where majority, overwhelming majority of the viewership is, is of the boomer class. You know, a lot of us here in America First, we might have it on in the background, but all of their shows are shit, their commentators all hate Donald Trump, and, you know, there's very little support for him on that network. So, while it might be something on while you're, you know, sweeping floors or cleaning up the kitchen, it's not something that we intently watch like some of the boomer class of, Viewers might do, but when you are able to go on CNN, and I'm going to correct myself, that show is State of the Fake Union, not This Week in Fake News, and be someone like Tim Scott, a long-established senator from South Carolina who happens to be an African-American, ran in the presidential primary against Donald Trump, bowed out, endorsed, and now is on the campaign trail with him, it might be really identifying with Democrat voters like, okay, my life sucks and my bank account's drained, my savings are non-existent, my 40K sucks, Uh, there's a lot of new crime in our area, they're using my kid's gym as a place to house migrants, and for as much as I hated Donald Trump as a traditional Democrat voter or maybe even an independent who would tune into places like CNN, CBS, or MSNBC, I'm now seeing this senator who said that Donald Trump not only did great things for the African-American community, that's a virtue single I can get with, But he also helped write the tax cuts, which allowed me to bring home more money at the end of the day. That kind of went away under Joe Biden because of inflation. Hmm. You see what I'm saying there? That that looks like it it was kind of the messaging that the Trump team formulated for all of the surrogates that would go out and, and tackle the Sunday morning news circuit. It's not only Make America Great Again, which is the platform. It's not only Borders, Peace Through Strength, and a robust economy. It's all the little things that these people are able to produce for an outside the tent listenership and viewership that I think helps bring people to the ballot box out for Donald Trump in November, especially if things continue on this trajectory. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, no matter what platform it's on, hopefully it's Apple. Make sure you subscribe to the Safe Records podcast. Hit the plus button. Hit the follow button. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. In addition, Find us on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, and hit the notification bell. We want to remind everybody and thank everyone for all the great shares that our show is getting right now. But it's when you get in there and actually follow the show, do those automatic downloads so you never miss a now four all new episodes a week. That really helps out the show in so many different ways. We can't thank you guys enough. So there was some breaking news on Sunday, breaking news that we didn't see coming. I thought, well, I put out a post that was it going to be on Monday or Wednesday. Um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who ran one of the poorest presidential campaigns in the history of the galaxy, made a surprise announcement in a recorded statement on Sunday afternoon, which kind of sent the America First news apparatus into a tussle. He would be bowing out of the presidential race and in turn, and this is an air quote for sure, endorsing Donald Trump. It's a four and a half minute prepared speaking statement. I'm only going to play a portion of it. However, we'll talk about the lack of A, enthusiasm, and B,
5: legitimate endorsement on the backside of it. Let's check it out. Now over the past many months, Casey and I have traveled across the country to deliver a message of hope that decline is a choice and that we can in fact succeed again as a nation. Nobody worked harder and we left it all out on the field. Now, following our second place finish in Iowa, we've prayed and deliberated on the way forward. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. Oh. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, oh. and I will not stop now. Oh. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watch his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance, and they see Democrats using lawfare this day to attack him. Well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus oh. pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci, oh. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackage formed of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. Fuck you. I hate you. Now listen.
3: You guys could make your own determination on party unification, rallying behind the former president in this quest to retake the White House, whatever. To me, that doesn't sound like an enthusiastic endorsement of Donald Trump. And and that sounds more of like he's got a knife at his back to let's stop this thing before you really do kill any chances you have of doing anything moving forward, which we here on the show already think Ron DeSantis has done. Um, His... False assumption that MAGA was just going to get in line as Joe Biden and the Justice Department tried to ruin his and everyone around him's life from the first administration and people would just be bailing off the Trump train faster than people did the Titanic to jump on the Ron DeSantis Express. It was just never going to happen. Um, It's the honest and truthful and wholesome nature that Donald Trump presents himself in addition to how he's pushed back on just about every False, fraudulent, witch-led investigation into whatever they're trying to do. And you're already seeing the receipts. I mean, the judge up in New York with the E. Jean Carroll case, you know, the uh, vagina lady, that's already falling apart. Fannie Willis down in Fulton County, Georgia. Oh, my God, did she screw herself over while she screwed her boyfriend, who is now trying to screw Donald Trump? And then when you talk about all the Jack Smith-led investigations... A part of me feels like we'll never have a disposition on those things before Donald Trump takes back the White House, at which point, what is he going to be doing? Pardoning himself, because we all know they're a sham. When you talk about documents and every single other person in the history of our republic who's had them, that shouldn't have had them, that never got in trouble for them, that's one thing. When you talk about presidential immunity and the fact that, whether it's Barack Obama, separating families and caging kids or droning everybody or Joe Biden and his business dealings. They don't want any of the smoke from potential special counsels into being held accountable for those things. And and when you talk about seditious conspiracy against America and Donald Trump leading the January 6th insurrection that never happened, well, that's just more laughable than anything. Donald Trump is apparently, and I think very wisely, taking the high road when you talk about Ron DeSantis getting out of the race. He officially retired the name DeSanctimonious, gave a, a comment to the press about it, both before his rally in New Hampshire up in Rochester and with Fox News afterwards, which we'll hear in just a second. But while he was at the podium on Sunday night, he did mention Ron DeSantis getting out of the race in his endorsement. Let's check it out. Before we begin, I'd like
7: to take time to congratulate Ron DeSantis and... Of course, a really terrific person who had gotten to know his wife, Casey, for having run a great campaign for president. He did. He ran a a really good campaign, I will tell you. It's not easy. They think it's easy doing this stuff, right? It's not easy. But as you know, he left the campaign trail today at 3 p.m., and in so doing, he was very gracious, and he endorsed me. So I appreciate it. I appreciate that, and I also look forward to working with Ron and everybody else to defeat crooked Joe Biden. We will have to get him out. We have to get him out. He's put our country at great peril, at great peril. So I just want to thank Ron and congratulate him on doing a very good job. It's a tough situation. It's a tough thing to do.
3: I'm thrilled to be here. And that's literally where Donald Trump should stay with that. Anytime it's mentioned or brought up, that's exactly what he should say. It doesn't matter what all of these former DeSantis campaign members say, what Casey DeSantis says, what Ron DeSantis might go out and say in interviews or talking points or op-eds moving forward. Regardless of whether or not their narrative changes, the fact of the matter is, is that Ron DeSantis got out of the race, said the American people are getting behind and obviously want Donald Trump as their candidate. And he was endorsing him. Whether or not it's because of that stupid-ass pledge, it's not the way he should have said it, but that's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is, it's done, it's water under the bridge, and as far as Donald Trump's concerned, that's how he should run with it. That narrative does not change. He caught up with Brett Baer shortly after his speaking event in Rochester on Sunday night, and Brett touched on, we already talked about playing it for you guys, who a potential VP pick could be. Before we jump in with Jim Plath, let's check out this
8: one. You said in our town hall that you had an idea, or you might have already decided, about your VP pick.
7: When do you think you're going to make that? Well, it's never really had that much of an effect on an election, which is an amazing thing. Both election and primary, it's never really had much of an effect. I may or may not release something uh, over the next couple of months. There's no rush to that. It won't have any impact at all. The person that I think I like is a very good person pretty standard. I think people won't be that surprised. But I would say there's probably a 25 percent chance it would be that person. Is Senator Tim Scott on the list now? No, he's a great guy. You know, he, he endorsed me. There's an example. Nikki comes from South Carolina. Tim Scott is from South Carolina. But if you look, the governor, great governor, another senator, Lindsay, we happen to like Lindsay, But uh, Henry McMaster knows her very well. He endorsed me. It's very hard for a governor to endorse somebody when you have, you know, I mean, Henry McMaster was the lieutenant governor under her and he endorsed me and he's going to be here tonight in 15 minutes. You're going to be watching him speak. I'm going to introduce him. He's a great guy. He's done a great job. So everybody, almost everybody in South Carolina has endorsed me. What does that
3: tell you? That's a great non-answer from the 45th president right there as well. I mean, obviously we know Henry McMaster is not going to be the person that Donald Trump picks to be the vice president either. And you know, as we kind of laid out for you, Tim Scott already kind of shut this down and said he's in a good place in the Senate. Republicans look to have the balance of power in their favor next session. He just wants the continued accessibility that he had to Donald Trump during his first term in office as as kind of an open-door policy for him, potentially on, on more legislation moving forward. Listen, if Tim Scott's going to get that hard behind Donald Trump as we've already heard him, if Tim Scott's going to go and take care of his socially optic situation by getting engaged and then getting married... Uh, run for another term or or finish out his term as the senator in South Carolina and then throw his name in the hat for president in 2028, more power to him. But the fact of the matter is now Donald Trump said we ain't going to be hearing about it for the next couple months. I don't think either shortly before or directly after Super Tuesday is when we probably will start having this conversation really ramp up where it's just going to be a lot of speculation between now and then. I think we should focus on the first five primary states and then get ready for that incoming delegate count to exceed the threshold to make Donald Trump the nominee on Super Tuesday and kind of take it from there. Again, we're getting ready to jump in with Jim Path and talk a little more about this race up in New Hampshire. We're also going to talk about some of the growing pains that are going on in the U.S. House of Representatives on the Republican side. But before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners.
2: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Battleborn Coffee Roasters. They're law enforcement, family-owned, and they produce some of the best available specialty grade coffee. That means all those beans have gone through an extensive process to remove all defects. Battleborne researches all their sources, farms, and milling stations to make sure you're not getting any pesticides or chemical fertilizers. Sit back and have a cup of their Borderline Mexico Chiapas blend while you're out sitting on an X or sitting in the office. High quality coffee from high quality people. Use promo code STEAK for 20% off your first order. Make sure you go check them out at battleborn.coffee.
3: Joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's a conservative consultant and former chief of staff at Capitol Hill. Always an honor to be sitting down with Mr. Jim Path. Welcome back to the show.
4: So glad to be here, man. How are you doing?
3: Doing well. We've got a big day now. We're uh, rounding up our coverage of the New Hampshire primary, our, our little preview show. Obviously, we won't have the results till our two Friday editions of Steak for Breakfast, but it was a big weekend for Donald Trump. And, uh, you know, coming off of Iowa, there was a lot of speculation going around, uh, everything from turnout to age demographic that voted for him. Long story short, the president looks very strong heading into the Granite State primary. Late, a little bit later today, Jim, what do you think? Uh, you know, you've, you've tracked this stuff for a long time, and you've seen the way this shakes out. We know one race doesn't always necessarily define the other. But when you look at the entirety of how Donald Trump's run it up to this point, I'm pretty sure you got some commentary that would uh, back that up.
4: I I, I would have personally predict he's going to have a big win. Uh, the uh, Daily Mail did a poll of 851 likely voters recently. This was their final New Hampshire poll that had Trump at 57 percent, Haley at 37 percent my guess is it's going to be bigger than that now Iowa and New Hampshire when they're coming around you don't always precisely know what's going on um they they shake out the polls aren't always highly accurate but let's just be candid <laughs> Trump won big time in Iowa 98 of 99 counties uh Ron DeSantis is out those voters are not likely going to Haley. I don't think that they are. They're going to Trump mostly. Some will go to Haley, but you know the a 20-point lead here essentially, uh, if it if it comes out like that or more, essentially reiterates the fact that Nikki Haley's on a fool's errand. It's not going anywhere. And she's recruiting Democrat voters to come over and help her you know, it's just everything's wrong about what Nikki Haley's doing. And I I really believe that GOP primary voters get it by now. And so, uh, you know, I I just think it, it's 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 possibility that she drops out before South Carolina. She's probably going to stick in because that's her home state and everything. But she's not she's not going to make it there. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's a big win for for the Donald today.
3: Uh, we think so as well. And you know, when you kind of look at the way that this is all shaped up and uh, coming off of the pun intended heels of Ron DeSantis' announcement to get out of the race <laughs> over the weekend, how do you see that voter base? It, it was apparent that Ron DeSantis run a very media-backed campaign, but once we got through Iowa and started looking at the actual numbers in, in some of the next couple states lining up, it didn't seem like nationally uh, a base that he was trying to build was resonating maybe as much as the media led us on to believe, and I think it that was in a c- combination with the fact that he was probably going to finish in third or fourth in New Hampshire, and then, you know, the way the primary and caucus situation is sh- set up in Nevada ahead of South Carolina, it would look like you could really damage the candidate for maybe future races or even just during his, uh, you know, what, what a lot of people would call the, the golden age of his career now uh, by keeping him in this race. Did you see it sh- shaking down that way, and, uh,
4: you know, culminating with the announcement that he gave on Sunday? Listen, I've, I haven't been as negative on uh, Ron DeSantis as some have, although I think it's just was stupid for him to run because I don't think that it was his time. Maybe he gained some experience. We'll see what happens in the future. He's a non-factor now, so uh, I don't know if he's damaged for the future. But But let's be straight up about this entire process. Donald Trump was going to be the nominee. There just was never a whole lot of doubt about it. I mean, I'll give some people credit. It was kind of hard to see precisely how all the coming indictment. Well, first of all, we weren't sure they were coming, but when it was clear that they were coming, we, we didn't know what the actual effect it would be. And so I guess for a short period of time in 2022, one might ask, you know, what's, what's going to happen. I, and, and I did, I asked that question myself, too, not that I absolutely thought everything was going to be fine, but I wanted to see what it was going to be like. The reality is, though, at the end of the day, there was no doubt the American people are sick and tired of what this government's doing. I think a huge backlash is coming in November. That's my personal feeling. I think we still have to see how it's playing out. But Donald Trump was going to be the nominee. Maybe it was some people thought it could be closer. He's running away with it now. Yeah, by South Carolina, this is going to be over because it's going to be obvious what's happening on Super Tuesday. the The focus has got to be right now on what do we, where do we go from here? We know that the the media is, wanted, particularly the Fox News sort of strain of media, sure wanted Ron DeSantis to be the guy that failed because that was Paul Ryan's wish, and Paul Ryan, for those who don't remember, is on the board of Fox. Um, Now it's Nikki Haley. He's definitely going to want Nikki Haley. Paul Ryan's the biggest neocon there ever was, it seems. Uh, And and Nikki Haley kind of slightly surpasses him. Now they're going to push and kind of give her a little bit of a dig for a little while. It's going to be all over. Now the mainstream media is going to come assaulting Donald Trump if they can. And I just think they're going to look as stupid as they always have. So what the the whole discussion here is about Donald Trump. Where is he going from here? How is he going to run that campaign? And how successful is he going to be in November? There is some question to November. I'm not saying that it's totally in the bag and they better work their butts off. But that's that's where we're going right now. And I, I think we need to focus on it. Speaking about working
3: your butts off, how would you uh, provide commentary on the Trump campaign up to this point? It seems like it's been a pretty tight-knit circle. You've got some strong veterans in there, both from two previous Trump election bids in addition to some of the mainstays up on Capitol Hill and in and around the apparatus that is conservative politics. I'm talking people like Susie Wiles and obviously Chris Lasavita. Uh, It seems like they've ran it fiscally more sound this time. It seems like they've gotten... Donald Trump not only in front of large crowds at some point, but in front of actual voters, making him that touchable candidate, things that we necessarily didn't get as much of during the 2020 reelection campaign due to the fact that, uh, you know, all the COVID stuff that was going on and how they were kind of demonizing the MAGA base. It's either they're trying to, you know, wreck the republic. Last time it was trying to literally kill everybody. And, you know, now it's, it's, it seems like Donald Trump really ran a little bit of a different strategy. And to this point,
4: it's worked extremely well. I believe that he's in a better shape campaign-wise this time around than he was in 2020 with Brad Parscale coming out the gate running the campaign. That was a mistake. It was a big error. Uh, It was a loyalty play. And Parscale had done fantastically when it came to the online presence. He really helped out a lot in 2016. But at that time, you had Kellyanne Conway, Steve Bannon, and David Bossie essentially running the show. They're all highly competent people. Obviously, they were very dedicated to Donald Trump in 2016. They they were all about, did we do what we need to do and what we said we were going to do? That went away in 2020 to to a degree. And there were other factors, too. I'm not going to re-adjudicate it right here. We're not in that place right now. We've got campaign people doing it. I think that they've mostly done a very good job. I would like to have seen him out more over the last few months but he was kind of hampered with the uh, trials and i Correct. get that the logistics may not have been there as it moving forward keep the patterns going the way they are obviously you didn't mention dan scavino but he's still doing a fantastic job sure that that is i i'm roughly positive with what they've done so far my key concerns moving forward which i think they're addressing are that they have lawyered up big time because there are definitely going to be issues that need to be addressed and must be addressed before the election, not after as in 2020. That's a a key factor. The second and all the people I'm talking to indicate to me that that's happening. The second thing that has to happen is the rallies need to continue to be big. Uh, He needs to uh, space out a lot of wonderful announcements between now and the convention. They need to be preparing for a fantastic convention where they make a big push and show Joe Biden for who he is and make sure they stay on message with that. And I think that that he can do very well. Yeah, even
3: in a case where some of the candidates who have gotten out of the race may have not wanted to take the high road and immediately endorsed Donald Trump or what would seem like, from what I get from the Ron DeSantis endorsement, almost seems like reluctantly endorsing him, still pointing out some of the big things that he ran against him on before giving him the nod. Donald Trump seems to be taking the high road at this point. Uh, I, I think we've got plenty of nicknames to move on on the Democrat side in the future as this race is probably going to narrow, yeah. if not after New Hampshire, then then shortly before Super Tuesday, but uh, I do want to segue a little bit, Jim, because, you know, right at the top of our next show, we're going to be talking about a SCOTUS ruling that happened on the U.S. southern border. Uh, I don't really want to touch on that with you, but I do want to touch on a little bit of the dysfunction that's going on in the Republican House. You know, ever since Mike Johnson got the Speaker gavel, I don't think he's done a bad job, but I don't think at this point he's done one that's good enough. Listen, I, I I don't want to completely kill the guy here because here's the deal. When he gets into these leadership meetings, it's him and a bunch of people who have been in D.C. leadership, including everybody on Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, and Mitch McConnell's team for decades, and, and Mike Johnson's only had a couple sessions up on Capitol Hill. But the fact of the matter is, is that he was put there to perform a job, and when it comes to the budget and any kind of leeway on the border, the way I'm seeing it shaping up at this point in the session of Congress is that we probably aren't gonna get those single subject bills at least really focused on until next session of Congress. So I think the last hill that the Republicans can probably die on for this session is, is trying to hold Joe Biden and his regime accountable for something on the US Southern
4: border. How do you see this shaping up? Well, they've already missed our opportunity. HR2 was out there last year. It was a good bill that dealt with uh, the whole, the entirety of the immigration problem. By the way, If any president would just follow the laws of the books right now, then we'd be in great shape, but that's not happening. Um, Joe Biden has decided to ignore all that and just do whatever the freak he wants. I wrote an article on my Substack called Congress is Broken, so none of this surprises us. Washington can't help itself because the system is a hydra. We keep chopping off the heads of the speakers of the House, and the head just keeps growing back. Listen, I... Have been acquainted in the past with uh, Mike Johnson. I really like him personally. He's a truly smart guy. And if he ever did what he's really all about, he'd be a fantastic speaker. It's not happening right now. He, he's missed the opportunity. They should have been uh chucking HR2 into every one of these bills. They're keeping Nancy Pelosi spending levels. It's, it, Roan, it's driving me nuts. Yeah. It, it, it's absolutely absurd like in i show a graph in my article we were at uh 4.45 trillion of total government spending in 2019 before covid we popped up to 6.55 trillion the next year during covid and we've barely come off those levels ever since we're right now at 6.3 trillion almost $6.4 trillion. There's no reason for that. Like we're taking all that extra COVID spending that was supposed to be um, taking care of all the problems that COVID brought, none of which we needed to do, by the way. And and now we've replaced that spending with just paying out money to people because we don't have a COVID disaster right now. It's insane. There's no reason for it. So uh, Mike Johnson is failing miserably right now. Everybody I talk to in, in DC, myself included and people, you know, I, I, although I'm sitting here in Indiana, um, I I'm, my frustration is very high. If you're going to go with Chuck Schumer on spending, then throw in the HR2 reforms and, and, and requirements for the administration related to immigration. at least. I mean that's not good enough for me, but at least do that. Something that the American people are absolutely for. So, no, Mike Johnson is setting himself up very poorly. If he would do stuff like that, if he would demand Chuck Schumer is crowing about the current budget deal. He loves it. If they would just shut down these guys and take a firm stand and then lose, if they lost it for some reason. okay. well, then at least we could maybe feel like when we come in next year, if Donald Trump gets to become president. We have a bigger majority in the House. We take over the Senate. Then people would have some more confidence with Mike Johnson to maybe hit some of these other things. But he's not even doing anything. So that's going to harm him badly. There's there is kind of rumblings about another motion to vacate. I don't know if it's going to come to pass, but it's being talked about. And that's sad because Mike Johnson had a lot of possibility. You know, Warren Davidson uh, had told um Uh, told, uh, Chad Pergram of Fox news. Who's a great Capitol Hill reporter, but he, he said he was, he said, quote, it was one of the worst votes that I ever cast so far to make Johnson speaker in the entire four terms I've served, (laughs) you know, Warren John, Warren Davidson's a hero. And he's saying that and was really hopeful that hopefulness has gone away. It's got to change. We Mike Johnson better take a stand this year, or we've just got more problems moving forward. And we're not getting off of this problem off of this, uh, coaster.
3: Well, it's the truth. You know, we've got Congressman Ben Klein coming in here during the uh, back end of the first new segment of our next show. And, and we're going to be talking to him on that. But listen, uh, you know, since we've got back from Christmas break, I've probably had a little over a dozen congressmen and women come in through the show. Every single one of them has led in with the niceness, the intelligent level, the uh, admiration for the Constitution that Mike Johnson has dot dot dot. But and then completely fill in the blank with exactly what you just said. It's not like the people behind closed doors in Republican conference aren't telling him these things. It's just that I don't know why he doesn't want to shake it up. Part of me believes that they've kind of backed themselves vote-wise, especially after we got receipts on who voted which way for the CR last week, that the Democrats could actually use a potential shutdown right now uh, negatively, not only against Republicans, but believe it or not, President Trump. You know, Mike Johnson and, and Donald Trump have shown admiration towards each other, both in uh, personal visits, online postings, etc. They shut the government down, and, and I could see Chuck Schumer and, and and the whole entirety of the DNC mouthpiece going on all the news shows saying, listen, this is who Donald Trump wanted in. This is who Donald Trump communicates with on a regular basis, and now heading into an election year, they're trying to hurt Joe Biden's legacy and legitimacy by having a Trump shutdown. It's not the actual there, there when it comes to what's going on. But that's the way Democrats will spin it. And I think right now they're trying to bait Republicans into the shutdown by saying like, oh, working with Speaker Johnson is wonderful. The things he's agreeing to just wonderful. And it, now we're kind of at like a dead end street. We're, we have a finite amount of time before the next election. I, I kind of agree with you, Jim, that we're just going to ride it out and it's going to hurt Mike Johnson moving forward. But you know It's one of those things where we'd like to see something happen, but uh, from all the insiders I talked to, you and included, it doesn't seem like in regards to the budget or or anything to do with the border, because remember, at the end of the day, even if they agree on any kind of legislation, Alejandro Mayorkas
4: has to implement it. I don't see us getting anywhere on each of those. Listen, I went to Capitol Hill in 2010 for the first time as Tim Hillscamp's chief of staff. We had that shutdown battle just before the 2012 election. And everyone, John Boehner, and all the elites, uh, Republicans in D.C., were pissed off because it harmed us in the next election. That's bull. We added eight seats to the majority. Correct in that election. It's it's crazy. This this whole shutdown politics thing is is a typical line. It's the Frank Luntz stupidity that that Republicans have been listening to over and over again. The fact is. That if you're going to be like the Democrats, then you're not going to distinguish yourself from Democrats. Good point. We are at Nancy Pelosi levels. We are continuing the Biden immigration so called policy that he has of doing nothing on the border without making any attempt to counter it. If you're not going to counter yourself and compare yourself with Democrats, then why do people have to vote differently? Um, the, the abortion issue is not going to be as big a deal, even no. though they're going to make their attempt to say it. I don't think this so. election round that did harm 2022 to some degree. But again, the bigger problem was there was no distinguishing from Democrats at all. Right. And there and that if they continue down that path, then you're going to get the same results. This is what we've been doing since the Tea Party movement. The Tea Party movement was profound You had a massive shift in the general public about what they wanted. The Republicans took that over. I remember seeing it because of the 64 new members of Congress that came in in 2010, at best, 24 held the line. And and of that 24, some of them were Jim Jordan, people that were already in Congress at the time. They totally co-opted the Tea Party movement. And ever since, they've been towing the same line. And we've got to change that pattern. The House Freedom Caucus has done well. McCarthy, by the way, just came out and said that the House Freedom Caucus is making it impossible to govern. Well, it's not about doing the governing. In fact, Congress doesn't govern. Congress tells the people who do the governing side of things what they can do. They aren't setting the mark. They're not drawing the line. If they're not going to do it, then the American people aren't going to respond in this year. And by the way, including in 2022, when the American people were ready for an alternative and Republicans didn't offer it to them, Mike Johnson needs to do that. Every Republican needs to if they're willing to, they'll win at at the ballot box. That's why Donald Trump's winning, by the way. He is an alternative. Yep. And
3: that's it. And the more he reminds people of it, you see his popularity both in the polls and the way he's received on the campaign trail kind of uh, resonating in, in, in those results. Jim, always awesome sitting down with you. Love having you on the show. Of course, we'll be looking to have you back soon. We want to live link everything you've got going on. So lay it out there for our listenership, including where they could find you on social medias, and we'll take care of it in the show description today.
4: The easiest way is to go to locatejim.com. Uh, go to my sub stack. You want to read the article I wrote about Congress. I got a few other articles I think you'll find interesting there as well. Locatejim.com. And of course, on Twitter, I am at JimPath. I have a link there, I think, on on locategym.com but at Jim path, J-I-M-P-F-A-F-F. Follow me on Twitter. I'm doing spaces there all the time. You definitely want to hear what I'm doing. Oh, and go to AmericanBlockchainPack.com. That's my, uh, that's my day job, I guess, CEO of American Blockchain Pack. Appreciate everyone listening, and uh, thanks for always having me on, Ron. Appreciate you guys and what you're trying to do.
3: Appreciate you. I will have to admit for our listenership, we located Jim today. And as always, he provided excellent commentary on everything that's going on in politics. This is the conservative consultant, one of our great friends, former chief of staff, Capitol Hill, Mr. Jim Paff. Thanks for joining us on the show. Have a great rest of the week.
4: Thanks, my friend.
3: Guys, we're coming back with an all new edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. So sit back, relax, and let us continue to change the way you consume your news.